Amen. Amen. Good morning. Who has enjoyed the reprieve from the heat? A little bit? Who would have ever thought 98 would be a reprieve, right? You know, you just never know. It's just when you're like, you can't get any hotter, and you're like, oh my gosh, 98 feels amazing. Like, we almost decided to have dinner on the patio this weekend. And then we remember the mosquitoes would carry us away, right? So we're like, no, never mind, we're good. I hope you guys are having a great weekend. My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors. Thanks so much for joining us online. If you're visiting this morning, glad that you're here. Uh, Last week, we wrapped up our series in James. Travis wrapped us up last week. And just the idea of James concluding, you know, James was written to a church on the run and under persecution. And as James was concluding the chapter, or the book, excuse me, he said, don't suffer in silence and don't suffer alone. And I think that's just so good for us to hear because as busy as we are, I think we live so isolated our lives because we've got this or we've got that and we have all these things in our schedule to do. And and sometimes we isolate ourselves with just like we have that TV show I watch and Dee watches this TV show and we have these things that we do as well. And but James says we don't have to live alone and we don't have to suffer alone because God is a God who not only redeems us, he also puts community around us so that we could live together. And so as we move from James now into a new series called Divine Anatomy, uh, I want to explain a little bit of why we wanted to do this series before we move into our fall launch, because we're kind of rounding out summer. This is typically a fall launch series when everybody's back and, and, and VBS is over and youth camp. By the way, our kids got back, our students got back from youth camp on Friday. Um, and I was told that all the adult volunteers survived. So that was what we were really praying for, you know. Because when it's 115 degrees and you're herding cats around a bunch of other cats, right? Like, you just never know if everybody's going to make it or not. Next week, we'll give a report next week. It was actually a very productive camp. So if you were here, we prayed that it wouldn't be just a regular camp week. And that it wouldn't just be a camp high. Kids, students come back from camp with this, oh, everything's great, and I'm on fire for the Lord. And what we prayed for is that actually that what they experienced and how they grew would go well beyond just the week they come back. Um, And I think you're going to be interested to hear what the report is because I think God was answering some of those prayers, and he is answering those prayers. But back to Divine Anatomy, the reason why we wanted to do this now is because I think it sets the table for us as we push into the fall And the idea is that we just want to take a deeper dive into the anatomy of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the reason we're wanting to do that is because each member of the Trinity has a purpose and a role and serves as a function. And who they are and what they do and how they relate to one another also influences how we should be as the church. And so the idea is that this week will be God the Creator, next week will be God the Son, the third week will be God the Spirit, and then we'll do three weeks on the back end of just how the church can live and function and grow and be salt and light in light of who the Trinity is. And so the words that we kind of have is God as creator, spirit as redeemer, and spirit as equipper. And so as we figure out what it means for us as crossroads to be creative, 
to redeem and to equip one another for the kingdom, uh, I think it's going to be a great, a great six weeks. And that will lead into our fall launch, which I'll just go and give you a, a, the title, We in a Me-Centered World. That's going to be your fall title, We in a Me-Centered World. And I can't think of a better title for that right now in the season that we live in because everything is screaming at us to be about ourselves and to only worry about ourselves, only worry about the people that are around us. But God calls us to something much bigger, much bigger than that. So we in a me-centered world. So we thought the idea is that we can't do that until we figure out how the Trinity lives together as a we and how it helps us not be in a me-centered world. And so as we think about the concepts, we want to be intentional. And so just truth number one, I'll share a few truths this morning. Our spiritual walk is intuitive, agreed? Right? It's intuitive. Like by, we have Jesus in our heart and our soul. We have the Spirit residing within us. And so we get some of these Trinity distinctives in our lives. They're intuitive, but spiritual growth actually requires us to be intentional. So God doesn't call us to just be intuitive. He calls us to be intentional. And so if you don't get anything else this morning, no matter where you are with your relationship with Christ, you are not a completed work. I am not a completed work. We are not a completed work. As a church, as individuals, as followers, meaning that Christ's death and resurrection happens so that each of us one day can be complete like the Trinity is completed. And so that day is not here yet. And so I want to say is that whatever it is that you're looking at, whatever your week has been, whether it's been a 115 degree heat or it's been crazy at work or you've been arguing with your spouse or you've been annoyed at your kids, that never happens to me at all, right? Like, or, or things have been really good. We are not complete yet because Christ is still at work in each of our lives. And so as we think about that, there's hope and there's hope ahead. And so as we apply these traits to our lives, we want to live, we want all of us to live spiritually fuller lives. And so before the passage this morning, I want to talk about two aspects that will help us understand the Trinity. Number one, community. The Trinity is God in three distinct persons that are in community with one another. The Trinity is God in three persons in community with one another. We often get so focused on the individual pieces of the Trinity, especially around Easter. We get so focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus. We forget that actually God the Father is engaged in that process. And then on the back end of Easter, we have Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is also engaged. And so the Trinity is always at work together. They're never separated. They're always doing things together. And when you think about all the things that divide us or potentially divide us on the planet and in our lives. It could be finances. It could be politics. It could be confusion. It could be power. It could be education. It could be ethnicity. It could be language. It could be family of origin. It could be our birthplace, where we're from. Like all the things that divide us or attempt to divide us as people, God is never divided with himself in the Trinity. Now think about it. think about all the things. Like if maybe you read the news this morning or you've watched your uh, a news channel this week. Think about all the things and all the conversations that happen about division and how we should just. There was a time long ago that we 
used to be together as a country and now we're just kind of really separated and that we're fighting to get back to that unity that we've talked so much about this past year that Paul talks about in in Corinthians and then James talks about in his letter to his church. The Trinity has never, ever, ever been divided. Ever. It's never divided. So we think about all the things. The vision is never an issue. They're always together. They're always on the same page. They're never confused. Right? Think about just how division brings confusion and how I'm not sure if I could relate to you or you're going to relate to me because of the things that we have going on in our lives, like how that shows itself up as I parent my kids or in my marriage with thee. Like, there is never confusion in the Trinity. They never disagree about their plans. They never disagree about their goals. They are perfect. They are perfect. And in their perfection, they provide a way for you and I to pursue perfection as well. Two, so that's one, community, that they're in perfect agreement with one another. They're in community with one another. And two, overflow or abundance. The Trinity, as it works, it's planned out for humanity and the planet never does so in a deficit. Now, I don't know if you understand or you feel like you're at a deficit right now. Like, I, I don't know about you. I've never checked my bank account, and I'm like, gosh, you know what? I have enough. I'm good, you know? Or if you've ever gotten in the car, and you're like, gosh, I've got enough gas in the tank, right? Or I'm hungry. I've, I've never, I've always had enough food. I'm never hungry, right? But the Trinity never, ever, ever operates from a lack. They don't. They don't, la- they don't operate in a deficit. They don't give too little to one another, They don't withhold from one another. They don't give just the right amount. They give of themselves fully and completely. So just this idea that they're in community with one another, but they achieve that community, they achieve that perfection, they achieve that unity because of how they give of themselves. And then that's the idea for you and for me, is that we should be together and that we should give of ourselves so freely and so fully that it is almost... What's the word I'm looking for? That it's almost off-putting because that's what the Trinity is. They're so perfect. They're so together. They don't lack at anything and they don't withhold. It's a little off-putting, isn't it? It's a little intimidating. But you've been around those moments and those people, haven't you? Where they gave so freely of themselves. They were so kind. They were so gracious. They were so helpful that it was a little weird, right? And you're like, gosh, what? Is there another angle here? But the Trinity always does that and never shies away from that. And so it's with those two ideas, community and overflow or community and abundance that we begin our look at the first member this morning of the Trinity, the first member of God the Father. So we, you, we tracking and we doing okay? Okay, good. It's going to be an easy turn in your Bible. It's like the first page, Genesis 1. Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I just want to read this aloud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Interesting how the earth could be with, be present but not created and without form or void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. I, I just really got locked. I was like, okay, so it's not there, but yet it's there, but it's not. Okay. And darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So you already see by name two members of the Trinity in the creation event. Now, we know Jesus, we want to turn to Colossians, which we won't today. But we know Jesus is also active 
in the creation event. So the first thing we learn about God the Father is that He is a creator. He's a creator. Like, okay, we get it. We've, we've done this before. But He is a God who creates things, such as the earth and the cosmos and the planets. A hundred billion times the stars we just sang about in that last song. The plants, the fish, and the animals, and of course, the humans, right? And of course, humans. A couple of things to note about God as creator is that creation is important to Him. It says, in the beginning, God could have done anything, right? He exists out of time. This is God in the beginning for us. And it says he created the heavens and the earth. Creation is important to God. And it should be important to you and to me. And I like how he's methodical. It's just not like he just takes, you know, the saying, you just take a bunch of spaghetti and throw it against the wall and see what sticks, right? When you don't know what to do, that's what we do, right? We start brainstorming. And we throw spaghetti against the wall and we're like, well, if this idea doesn't work, then maybe this idea will work or maybe this plan will work or maybe that plan will work. God doesn't operate that way. He's methodical. He's intentional in how he creates. He's intentional in how he creates. And he creates everything here in this passage that is needed for life. Water, sun, fish, plants, animals land, human. And I just love this picture that in the beginning he could have done whatever he wanted, but instead he created things in such a way that things received life from him and how it flows out of the life that the Trinity experiences with one another. All these things are important to sustain life that reinforces the idea of how God, the first member of the Trinity, creates life from an overflow and from an overabundance. When he creates, he doesn't create with just enough. He doesn't create with just a little what he has. He creates it in such a way that it gives life. Now, I don't know what you're thinking, but like, we could all be pescatarians. You know what a pescatarian is, don't you? Like, yeah, like, who likes fish? I know some of us are fishermen in this room. Like, we like fish. I like fish, right? But he made animals and not just fish. Right? Like, think about that. Like, we could, our experience as humans on the planet is we could just be fish eaters. But we're not. And thank God we're not, right? Because he made brisket. Right? He made brisket. And he made sausage. Ah, come on. Someone could give me an amen on the brisket one. I mean, come on. I thought we were in Texas, right? But here's the thing. If you want proof that God loves us, he created bacon. And we put it around jalapeno poppers and shrimp. And other kinds of meat, because who doesn't want to wrap meat around with more meats? That's, that's right. And ice cream, which is not in my example, but there you go. But there's the idea is that God creates, and he does so with an abundance, which leads us to truth number two. God creates over abundantly. He does. He doesn't create under abundantly. He doesn't create. It's not God is not Goldilocks and the bears. He creates from an overabundance. The second thing we learn about God is that he is transcendent, meaning that he actually creates the material he needs to create with. Let's look back at verse 2. That's it. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. Not everything was there that we just talked about that we know He's going to create. Plants weren't there. Land wasn't there. Humans weren't there. Fish weren't there. Animals weren't there. Bacon wasn't there. Brisket wasn't there. You see God do this with there is darkness over the face of the void. But then look at verse 3, okay? So we have void, void and darkness. And then God said, let there be light. There wasn't light that existed yet. There was no sun. There were no stars. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God just doesn't create with what's lying around. Like sometimes when you don't know what to eat and you just throw stuff in a pot and say, well, we'll eat it when, it go, when it's done cooking. God isn't just placing an order or the material lying around. He's not a painter without any paint. And what's beautiful about God as creator is he has paint, but then he could also create paint to paint with. He's not like some painter with the weird hat in Paris, right, with a blank canvas just standing there going, I just don't know what to do. Gosh, I just, I don't know what to, to paint. Um, Dee used to work with someone who sculpted, um, and he would whittle. Do you know what whittling is? Does anybody know what that is? Do people still do that? Uh, have you ever hurt yourself whittling? Do you know the rule when you whittle? Like you take a sharp knife and you have a piece of wood and you, you cut towards you, right? No, because that's how you stab yourself, and that's how you end up on YouTube. You whittle away, right? You, isn't it interesting? You whittle away the excess, and you whittle away from yourself so you don't injure yourself. And so Dee had someone that was in her office, and he would carve these crazy things from these just seemingly scrap pieces of wood. I think his name was Carl, actually. And I thought it was funny. Carl the Carver. That's what I thought of him, you know. Because, I mean, these things were beautiful. Like, he would take a, piece, a branch that was, torn, that was broken, and he would carve an axe head out of it, stick it into a stump. Like, just the intricacy and the, the time and the patience to do that. And I, I go, how do you do this? Like, I asked him once. I go, how do you do all this stuff? And he said, it's already there. I just uncover it. I don't create it. It's already there. I just uncover it. And I've heard sculptors say that as well. I've heard painters say, like, I'm painting something that's already there. I'm just figuring out how to remove the film where we could actually interact with it. That's what God does. He doesn't create something that's already sitting there. He creates from nothing and places an order. And so he's not wondering, lying around wondering how he's going to get the painting done. He creates the paint to paint with, and it's not missing anything to get the job done. So here's just a side for a hope for you and for me this morning. The thing that you and I are convinced that we have to have to have life. Okay, so let's just draw it back to us for just a second. That thing that we've had this week or this season or for the last six months or this year, the thing that we say, gosh, if I had this, my life would be perfect. Or if I had this, my life would be better. Or, gosh, I'm waiting for this to happen in my life so then I can do this. That thing that you and I are convinced that we all, that we have to have to make our life work. Because we all have it. We all have this thing. God does not need some kind of intervention to happen outside of him to provide that. Can I just say that? He doesn't. Like that thing that you need, that I need, that we think we need, he doesn't need someone to come in on his behalf and help him do that. And just back to the idea that he's transcendent, like 
The idea that God exists out of time and in his own dimension as far as time and space, and he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. That answer that I was just talking about, that thing that you and I have to have to make our lives work, right? Whether it's finances or a new job or that relationship to be mended or just I want to get back to where things were, like whatever that is, whatever that is, that answer exists out of time and space because it exists with God too. So while we live our lives just counting down the moments, hoping that God will do that, he could do it just like that whenever he wants, according to his plan and his purpose. He could do that just whenever he wants. Because he created light out of nothingness. He spoke this thing that dispelled darkness that didn't exist before he spoke. Which leads us to truth number three. God creates by using existing material and creating new material for you to grow. Like that's the point of the creation story. As we read the creation story and as we look at how God creates and brings form to things that don't have form and 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 brings life to where no life exists, the lesson, the thing for you and for me is that he could do that with us too. He, he could use anything that's existing in our lives right now to change us or at any point he could insert something new that doesn't exist. That's why we have hope. That's why we have hope. God could use whatever you have within you or to create new things to grow you. And you are not limited in spiritual growth because we serve a God who is not limited by anything. As creator. We see it in the text this morning. We serve a God. We follow a God who is not limited by anything. And that what you think you're limited by, he can do with whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And I hope that that brings you hope. My prayer is that brings you hope because... It's real easy to run over this passage and think, well, I read this in Sunday school, or I did the felt board, or I've done the thing, and I get it. God created the earth in six days and rested on Sabbath, and I should somehow do rest somewhere in there. The third thing we learn about, so that's two. The third thing we learn about God is when he creates, he creates good things, right? So we know this, right? Verse 4, light is good. Verse 10, the earth and the seas are good. Verse 12, plants and seeds are good. Verse 18, the sun and the moon are good. Verse 21, the fish and the birds are good. And verse 25, if we were going to go through it, the animals are good. When God creates, he creates good things. So I just love this. God is creator. He creates overabundantly. We talked about that a minute ago. The overflow of the Trinity flows into creation. And he could use whatever he wants to create, which leads us to truth number four. When God creates, it is outstanding. It's not subpar. It's not lacking. It's not just good. It's outstanding. So where did I get that word outstanding? So here's, this is funny. I have a friend named Amelia. You probably know her. She's in Kids Men. And I said, hey, do you want to help me with the sermon this week? And she was like, because it's summer, right? And I guess students are supposed to use their brains so they don't lose them. And um, she's second grade or third grade, going in second or third? Second, third, third grade. Yeah, just something my youngest. So she's going into third grade. She starts back in a couple weeks. By the way, students that are in the room, school starts in like two weeks. God bless you. Anyway, all right, so... 
And so I asked Amelia, would you read the creation passage and just tell me what you think? And she read it, and she gave me a couple of notes, and she said, when God creates, he, it is outstanding. Isn't it beautiful to see things with the eyes of a third grader? And how I've got you know, a degree in, in education, but I did not write outstanding in how God can use anything, at any point, in any mouth, in any voice to speak his truth. Isn't that beautiful? When God creates, he is good. And when God creates, he doesn't create things that aren't good. He creates things that are outstanding. God cannot help but create things good. So the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the fish, the birds, the plants, etc. The creation that gives life is good. But there are two exceptions to the rule that are different. So there are two exceptions in this passage. And I want to point them out to you. Let me start you in verse 6. Back in chapter 1. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Okay, there you go. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. So we got it. It's between and above. And there you go. It's a little confusing. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now, this one's different from all the others in one way. Do you know it? Because at the end of the other creation days, including the rest day, God says, when he's done, he says, it is, do you know it? It is good, right? But he doesn't do it here the second day. Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? I've not really thought a lot about that, but I did a lot of study on that. And so here's what theologians think. And whenever you think, here's what theologians think, it's a little scary because then we're trying to figure out what God's up to. Theologians think that the reason God does not call the second day good is because he already has pronounced the stuff, the materials that he, used, that he builds on the second day on the first day good. So if you look back just in verse 5, he says, God called the light the day and the darkness. He called the night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. But as he was creating, he said, let there be light, and he saw that light was good, right? And so you see that. He's creating light and day, and then he starts talking about the expanse. And what I love about just this picture, why it's different, is this. Once God pronounces something good, there's no reason for him to pronounce it again. Have you ever thought about that? Do you think of yourself as that way? Now, I'm not saying that we all don't need Jesus, we all don't fall short. We all don't fall in the ditch and, and get, get sideways. But have you ever thought about that once God says something is good, there is no reason for him to say it's good again? Because doesn't he speak with finality on something? Doesn't he pronounce with judgment and finality on what is and what isn't? So meaning once God pronounces something good, he doesn't need to pronounce it as good again. His first pronouncement is Binding. And he doesn't have to say over and over again, unlike you or me, like, am I good? Am I okay? Are we okay? Are we doing okay? Is my life okay? There's all this stuff going on in our worlds. God need reassurance that I'm okay. God doesn't need reassurance that things are what he says they are. Because he says what they are. And so, again, the hope for you and for me this morning is no matter where you are or what you've done or what you haven't done, nothing can separate you from the love of God once he has pronounced you are good in 
Christ. Period. Period. There is nothing you can do to outrun that pronouncement. There is nothing you can't do to outrun that pronouncement. There is no amount of sin that you can do to outrun that pronouncement. And so if you know Jesus as Savior, you are good because he is good. I don't know if we think a lot enough about that. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I think about all the things. I have this tally in my head. Uh, well, I did that okay. I did that okay. I did that okay. I did that okay. Oh, man. Well, there's a slash. That one I just really messed up. I fumbled the ball on the goal line on that one. Oh, my gosh. And I live day to day and week to week hoping and praying that somehow my good over, over uh, acts the bad. When I never stop to actually consider that when God creates, he says it's good. And once he pronounces that it's good, there's no more arguing or discussion that's needed. Live your spiritual life that way. Because that's where Jesus promises life and life abundant. So that's one. God doesn't pronounce something that he already pronounces again. The second one that's a little bit different is when God creates the first humans, he doesn't just call it good, he calls it Anybody know? Very good. We know that one. Isn't it easy? Funny. It's funny, I think, when we could say, oh, yeah, very good. We're very good. Let me read you verses 26 to 31. Then God said, let us, notice the plural there. So God's not just talking about himself. He's talking about the Trinity there. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, another plural word. So he's not saying, let make, let's make man in my image like me. He's saying us and our. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Like this is the picture. This is the original picture from creation of the lives that you and I are supposed to live. And we get the opportunity to do so in Christ. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird that includes bacon and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. He calls it very good. So just flowing out of a second ago, like once God pronounces it good, you're good. But I don't know, like do you ever stop and think that God made you for a purpose that's very good, not just good? God made you each for a purpose that's very good, not just good. And he calls it very good. And God intends for a diversity to be created. Notice he said he created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And just this idea that male and femaleness, this reflects the diversity of his creation that also reflects the diversity of the Trinity. God does not make those choices like, you know, lightly. There's diversity in the Trinity, and he wants us to have diversity of thought and diversity of voice and diversity of experiences. 
and that the idea that we are made in his image, and of course, why wouldn't God say that's very good? Because if we're made in his image, which he is the best of all things, then why wouldn't we be very good? And maybe we should stop thinking ourselves as very less than that. Shouldn't we just think of ourselves as very good? Because there's this idea, the Imago Dei principle. I don't know if you've heard it. It means the image of God. Literally means that we are made in the image of God. And so who you are right now with your gifting reflects something from God's image. Who you are reflects something and made in God's image. And that includes your shortcomings and the things that you're triumphing over. But we often let our shortcomings keep us off the field of living the life that God wants us to live. That he created us for. I've talked with so many. I even struggle this with myself. Who don't think they are worthy of his image. And it's, maybe it's how they've been treated. Maybe it's some things that they've done. Maybe it's how they've treated other people. But there's a lot of people who walk around, maybe even in this room, that think that they don't are worthy of the image that God created them for. But yet he pronounces them very good and he creates things in such a way where life is able to be lived. I just want to say, God wants, if that's you this morning, if you're like, I'm not enough, I don't get it right enough, I'm not worthy enough, I don't have what it takes. And even if I did have what it takes, I would screw it up royally. I just want you to know, God wants you to walk out of that cave and tomb of death. He doesn't want you to live there anymore. Who you are is who you are for a plan and a purpose that is for his purposes. Not your own, but for him. Interestingly enough, the three major religions on the planet, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all have this principle that man is created in their image, in God's image. But here's where Christians are a little different. Not only are we made in the image of God, we are also redeemed by God himself as a gift. More on that next week. Not only are we made in God's image, and he pronounced it very good, we are redeemed by God himself and doesn't leave it up to you and to me to figure out how to get to him. He builds the bridge where we are. Which leads us to truth number four. God intends for each of us to be uniquely diverse, and at the same time, his image bears. So here's what that means for you. You might be different than the person sitting next to you. That's okay. You're still supposed to both reflect the image of God. Being image bearers doesn't mean that we are image copiers of the bearers. That means figure out who God has made you to be. Figure out who he wants you to be. Figure out how he's equipped you to be. And then walk in that because he doesn't create things that are not good he creates you for a purpose that's very good as we turn our attention to our hearts and move away from the passage we've talked about God as creator in some specific ways but I want to end this morning by mentioning something we all need God for too which is father he's also God the father not only is God creator he is also father and so no matter what kind of father you have or had, I know some of us are missing fathers in this room. I know some of us don't have great relationships with their fathers. Some of us might have great relationships with their fathers. But we all need God for his fatherhood. 
And so as I think about, not only does God create and provide life, but God does something as Father too. And it's just, He nurtures the life that He created. He protects the life that He's created. He creates environments for the life that He's created that we can grow. He's responsible. He provides. This is our Father in heaven. Not just someone who creates and then steps away and says, y'all figure it out, like throwing us into the deep end. He creates and says, no, 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 no. I'm going to press in and engage and stay in the fight with you so that I can nurture and protect and provide. And I don't know, like, I don't have a great relationship with my dad. um, But I have God the Father who makes up the balance of what I'm missing. And he makes up the balance of what you're missing as well. And so there are a couple of ways to think about God as we conclude. The band's going to come back up. One, you can think of God in two ways. You can think of him as a God who is removed and distant. That's one way. You could certainly, and, and, and I'm sure there's been seasons in your life where you've done it. Where maybe you haven't felt as close to him as you have in the past. Maybe you're, maybe you, maybe he seems far away from where you are. That's one way. Or two, you can think of God who is involved and warm and loving. And so the question I have for you is, what area of your life do you need to change your thinking around who God is as Creator and Father? And don't think of Him as distance. I'm offering you an opportunity to think of Him as involved and warm and loving. And so I know we sing this all the time. But, you know, there's a song, I think we sang it last week, where it says, even when you're, what is the lyrics? When you're not moving, I don't see you, you're moving. Yeah, when I don't see you, you're working. When I don't feel it, you're moving. You never stop. You never stop moving. I'm not going to sing because I won't subject you to that. But you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Do you realize that God never, ever, ever takes a vacation? He never, ever, ever is not on the throne. He is never, ever, never not engaged in your life and in the process of the planet. And so I just want to conclude with reading this. You all know the story of Job. And Job had some really hard things to happen to him. And he has an opportunity his friends are all talking with him, and, he, and everybody's like, why don't you just give up on God because it's not working out for you, and if God was this good, then, he, then none of this would have happened to you. And Job says this. He goes, I would lay my case before him. This is in chapter 23. Um, I would lay my complaint um, he would answer me my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments, I would know that he would answer me and understand that what he would say to me, would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. Like Job is saying, would he fight with me and just overrule me? No. He says he would pay attention to me. Here is Job at the lowest part of his, of his life, his journey, his experience, and he's affirming, no, actually, God will pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward. Listen to this. Do you ever felt this way? He is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. And on the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right, but I do not see him. You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way where you don't see what he's up to? But then verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. 
My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. And then he says this, but he is unchangeable and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does, for he will complete. And this is what I want you to contend with. So as we sing, just think, ask God, God, what are you completing in me? Because Job says, he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider I am dread of him, God has made my heart faint. He has terrified me, but yet I am not silenced because of the darkness that is around me or covers his face. So no matter where you are, whether you perceive the light that God spoke into existence or you feel him veiled with darkness right now, no matter where you are, God will complete what he has appointed for each of us. And that's to be image bearers. And he doesn't create good things. He creates very good things. And he doesn't need to pronounce that over you a second time. He's done it fully and completely in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Will you stand and pray? So God, when I think about just Job's words, even in his lowest, he can say, he will complete what he has appointed to me. So God, the miraculous thing is, is right now on the planet, like 8 billion people, I don't know how many billions of people, billions of people, you are not confounded by what you've appointed for each of them. That you're engaged that you're loving, that you're warm, and that you're for their good, and that you're working them towards such a thing so that they could recognize that you have made them in your image, that you've created them for a purpose, and that as the Father only can, you are nurturing, providing them and us toward that. So I don't know where we've come in this week, Lord. My prayer is that as we sing this song and we reflect on how you create and how you nurture and how you provide and how you father, that perhaps maybe that wall that's between our heart and you, Lord, maybe you'll just melt just a little bit today. Or maybe you'll just take it all away. Because God, when you do something, you don't do it halfway. You do it full into the complete, and that includes exactly where we are. So I pray that our spirits would be enlightened, that the Spirit would move and minister in the only way that you can. As God, fully and completely God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.